your work, no matter what you do, you might think it's invisible. Someone's watching. And like, I'm always surprised at where places I go, where people go, I remember this really obscure thing that you did 10 years ago. And that actually inspired me to go on and do this incredible thing. So don't underestimate the influence that you have and who's watching. It's, you know, it's quite extraordinary who is watching. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my, I want to say trusted co-host, Brad Garner, but really, I never know when he's going to have a joke, so I'm not sure he really is so trustworthy, so, but welcome, Brad. He's not trustworthy, and he does not have a joke today, so (laughs) hi there. (laughs) We are returning with our guest, Helen Farley, so if you didn't have a chance to catch part one, please go back and take a listen now, but we're going to continue the conversation with one of our most dynamic guests in terms of interest and research and career path. So this is exciting for us. And if you've already heard part one, let's dive right back in with part two, Helen Farley. Welcome back, Helen. Okay, great to be back, Tiffany. You wrote an article in 2017 Mm -hmm. that dealt with 3D worlds in prison. Tell us about that. How did that work? What did that mean? So, I mean, you're talking about people who are incarcerated and they have a very limited physical experience. And particularly during COVID lockdown Mm. in Toronto, New Zealand, people sometimes didn't get out of their cells for 23 hours at a time, you know, and that's still continuing. We're still in COVID lockdown in New Zealand. And so how do you sort of alleviate the terrible boredom Mm. and disenfranchisement that that engenders? How do you continue teaching? How do you get people used to being somewhere else? Because they're all going to get out, like 99%. We've only got about three people in New Zealand who will never get out. (laughs) All the rest of those people will get out of prison. And we want them to be balanced, healthy, well-adjusted people so we don't see them back in prison. So virtual reality is a really good tool for doing that. And we're just at the beginning of our journey on that. So at Otago Corrections Facility, which is about four hours drive from here, we have virtual reality to teach people about literacy and numeracy. Now, I don't know about you, but literacy and numeracy is not the most exciting topic in the whole world. (laughs) But to people in prison, Cars are really interesting Ah, and important. And so what we did, I say we, I had nothing to do with it. I'm just, you know, (laughs) talking about it. We know better. We know better. (laughs) Uh So what we did is we created a mechanics workshop that was set in Dunedin. So I could walk to the edge of that workshop in virtual reality and look down the street and see Dunedin. I could see the city and see the place and think, what a great thing for people who are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And for those learners, they learned about 
cars, but what they didn't know is they were learning about literacy and numeracy, and they were learning about health and safety while they were working on their Corvette or their Jaguar or whatever fancy cars we put in that garage. And it was really interesting because they'd say, Miss, you need to make that harder because that really wasn't very hard at all. (laughs) But when we tested the learners, they'd all moved massively in their literacy and numeracy. And because it was embedded in something that they enjoyed, they just picked it up without effort. So it wasn't easy. It was hard. And they just smashed it. It was just fabulous. So we're doing it for literacy and numeracy, but you can do it for alcohol and drug treatment. So you can put people in a safe environment where they can be exposed to, well, virtual temptation and they can figure out strategies along with their psychologists and their program facilitators where they can deal with those temptations when they encounter them for real. You know, and there's some interesting stuff being done in the US. So in Colorado, where they're releasing people who were in prison during the 80s for minor drug offences, and now they're releasing those people. Wow. They're getting them used to what the world looks like on the outside. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, the 80s, everyone had big hair and no technology. And <laughs> and I don't even think there were mobile phones then, but if they were there, they were like the size of well, my laptop computer. (laughs) So they're getting people ready for technology and ready for living in that world because Mm -hmm. there is no part of living in 21st century world that doesn't have some aspect of technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, I fed my virtual cats before I got out of bed this morning. (laughs) I emailed my (laughs) boss. I checked to make sure, you know, I looked at Google Maps to make sure I had time to get to work before I did this podcast, you know, whether it's preparing quotes, sending emails, there's no aspect of life you can deal with without looking at technology. And actually, this is like, you didn't ask me this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, (laughs) we've just had a PhD student who's in a Victorian prison who graduated with a PhD in augmented reality from the University of Southern Queensland. And I'm really proud of him. And for him to be able to do that in such a restrictive environment is just massive. So a shout out to him. Wow. That is incredible. It is incredible. Some of the logic seems so clear. I mean, your analysis that 99% of these folks are going to get out of prison Mm-hmm. That should be an overwhelming piece of data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, the people who run the prisons often see our coming in there as an intrusion, as a security issue, as something they have to arrange for, what a hassle this is. And the flip side of that is if people are more engaged doing schoolwork, engaging with these virtual worlds, whatever these things might be, they're probably much less likely to get into fights and other things that disrupt the prison environment. Yeah, absolutely, Brad. That's absolutely true. And when I talk to custodial people, that's the tack I take, is that where people are engaged with learning, they're a lot less likely to be acting up. And not only that, they have a big impact on the whole culture of the prison because they make sure everyone else behaves as well. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
I've got a really interesting story about dealing with custodial. So I soon learned that there was not a very good relationship between education staff in prisons and custodial staff in prisons. And I had relied on the education staff to manage that relationship for us going into prisons. I realised that that was not really working and we got pulled up by custodial all the time. So I thought what I will do is engage directly with custodial. And so I would do that and I'd take the technology in, they could look at it. They even believed that you could make phone calls on a scientific calculator. So I took one in and said, try and make a phone call. (laughs) (laughs) They also, they had their own prejudices as well. They believed people were in there for a reason. They also believed that people were accessing education that they didn't have access to, that they had to pay for. And I said to them, no, that's not true. If you wanted to access this education, it would be the same. So that was a conscious decision we made at the beginning of the project that those incarcerated learners paid the same money. And in Australia, that's deferred, so they don't have to pay it straight away. It's a student loan. That they were able to access the same kind of education as the incarcerated people, the incarcerated learners. And what I found is that we would set up prisons as exam centres and we'd have custodial officers supervise those exams. And all of a sudden we had a lot of trouble doing that. We couldn't set exam centres up. People weren't available to supervise. And I'm thinking, I don't understand why that is because I thought our meetings went really well with the custodial people. But what it ended up being Mm -hmm. is that all those custodial people had enrolled at the university. (laughs) And so they weren't eligible to supervise exams because they were also students in those exams. An amazing problem. (laughs) So obviously we overcame that, but, you know, like we didn't anticipate that happening in our wildest dreams. And Mm. it's still going on. We still have a lot of custodial people enrolling in programs and we have a lot of people actually now they've enrolled in programs and they've gone out on to do masters and professional doctorates around their work. That is wonderful. Mm. Let me share a quick story as well. When I was teaching on a residential campus, I would take students with me over on Saturdays to the prison where I was teaching. And as you might guess, especially the female students in an all-male environment, as they walked across the yard, they were noticed, shall we say. And the students were petrified and just kind of walked very stiffly across the yard, couldn't quickly enough get into the building where we were going to be teaching. And I put them in groups with the men who were part of the class, small groups, and we would have discussions and they would interact with one another. And after the prisoners left, virtually every one of my students would say, you know what, they're no different than we are. And I thought, that's the best lesson you're ever going to learn. And yeah, it's so that's true. Absolutely it's so true. true. Yeah. Any of us could have been diverted down that path at various points in our lives. So yeah. I applaud the work you're doing, Helen. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brad. One of my favorite parts about your story is that this work in the prisons kind of happened. You're completely engaged in digital teaching and learning practices and research, and then this opportunity came forward. And now 
it's the thing that connected us with you. It's the topic that led us to your work and is something that you're known for. So I just think it's neat how we can't always expect where our career path is going to go and where it's going to take us. But we also are so interested in the rest of the work that you do, even outside the prisons. So can you tell us a little bit about your history in that digital teaching and learning space and what got you really interested in experimenting with technologies in higher ed? Phew, I thought you were going to ask me about my history. That's quite circuitous. (laughs) (laughs) Just the digital ed space is so exciting and so interesting. And going back to my circuitous career path, I actually started my academic career as a studies in religion lecturer, actually looking at things like, you know, not Christianity or Islam or anything like that, way too boring for me. I was looking at witchcraft and secret societies and Uh all of those kinds of things. And I used to teach a big class called Introduction to World Religions. And one of the things that we used to do, one of the pieces of assessment before I took the course over, was that learners had to go to a religious space and watch people who were worshipping and go to a service and stuff like that. And I had a big ethical problem with that. I thought we're treating people like they were zoo animals. Ah, interesting. To observe them like that, you know, and some people won't mind, but some people will. And also... I don't know if you know Brisbane, but it's a pretty boring, white, (laughs) middle-class kind of town. And, you know, so there'll be churches. There might be a synagogue or two, not too many. There might be a mosque on the other side of town. But there's not much variety. And I thought this was really colouring people's experience of, of religion. So I thought, what can I do to make that better? Maybe look at a virtual world. Look at Second Life. Mm. And I'm not sure if you remember Second Life. It winked into existence in 2007. Yep. It's still around. And I paid someone to create a church, a mosque, but also a Buddhist temple, a Hindu temple, a Freemasonic Lodge, uh, a temple to Artemis, and I set it up so students could go into that virtual world. I would make them research the rituals and the celebrations, and I'd have them recreate that in a virtual world and learn all about it. And so in that way, they stopped being observers and they became participants. I mean, one of the really powerful things that I did in Second Life is that it was all about everyone was talking about Islamic terrorism in the wake of, I mean, sometime after, but after 9-11 and all the rest of it. And I was very concerned about the attitudes of my learners. They were very anti-Islamic and no matter how what I said or did, it didn't change that. Mm. So what I would get them to do is I would get them to get their avatars and to dress in the burqa and then go to a public place in Second Life. Wow. And they would hear about the comments that were made to them and they were outraged by it. And, you know, those students would completely turn their ideas around. It was just magical to see. No amount of me 
telling them while they were wrong to think like that did anything. But once they experienced that discrimination for themselves, it turned them right around quick smart. Um, that is brilliant. Brilliant. It was wonderful. But I, I love emerging technologies. I love putting people into immersive virtual environments so they become participants. So learning is firsthand, not thirdhand. Another thing I used to get them to do, and I didn't create this, it was already there, I'd get them to go on a virtual Hajj. And so they went through all the steps of going on the Hajj and the preparation and the dress and all the rest of it, and they did that, and that was a better understanding for them than anything I could give them. Um, like I said, I used gaming consoles, so I used Wii's for people to get movement right, you know. So we were thinking about training surgeons. And as I said, I was a veterinary surgeon at the beginning of my career, and I knew how difficult it was to actually visualise and to think about doing surgery Everything I'd learned was in 2D and suddenly I had to apply it in 3D. But what you can do with a Wii or a Connect is you can start moving in 3D and you can tumble things around and see how they work. Mm. And again, that learning becomes firsthand, not thirdhand. I mean, there's a limit to how many greyhounds soaked in formaldehyde there are in the world <laughs> yes. you know, to experiment on. True. Um, Something like preg testing of cattle, you know, very uncomfortable for the cow, you know, particularly after you've had a whole first year of vet science students going through and sticking your hand up their <laughs> rear ends, you know, but you can do it virtually. Mm, I don't think I want to see that one. I'm going to pass on that. Oh, the virtual one's okay. The real one is pretty awful. But I used to have to make sure my hoop earrings didn't get caught in the cow's tails. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's the first on the podcast. That's Yeah, story. I love watching Brad squirm. This brings me to my... Helen, I'm wondering how you make wise decisions about what projects you're going to do next, what technology you choose, what project, because we, the three of us that are talking to you, Brad, me, Mike behind the scenes, we all have great ideas, we think, about immersive experiences that our students and our faculty can go through. But making those happen from the justification to the funding, to the timeline, to the resources it would take, it's hard to make decisions about where to focus our energy. How do you do that? I think it's interesting, Tiffany, you're asking me about focus. Clearly, I have none. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things I've learned, and I've learned it through my dealing with prisons. First of all, it's really easy to know what should go on, but yeah. it's really difficult to know what does go on mm -hmm. yeah and they are worlds apart if you plan for what should go on you won't succeed you okay. need to plan for what does go on and there are all sorts of reasons people will give you about why you should support what should happen mm -hmm. but 
I found if you knock those reasons over one by one, they'll put something else yeah. in your place. Yeah. yeah. So you've actually got to deal with what is actually happening. And that's how I tackled that prejudice. And I often said that from doing my prison projects, my greatest skill was just standing still and listening to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you stand next to someone, you let the silence be a little bit awkward they will tell you anything you want to know. That's true. <laughs> they mm. will speak and they have their story and they want to be heard. And once they get that out, then they will help you, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it's about knowing what does go on rather than what could go on. You have to find the real reason things are happening. Like people will give you a whole stack of reasons. Like they gave me a whole stack of reasons why I couldn't have a pool car, none available. The ones that are available are being washed. That one's not mechanically sound. So I don't believe that. You can't have a whole university without pool cars. Well, actually, I just don't want you to go, you know. Mm -hmm. And once we hit that point, we can do something with that. I can deal with that. I can't deal with those other excuses. Well, and the fact that you're willing to listen to what they have to say Mm-hmm. and not list off, well, here are five reasons why you should find me a car. You waited yeah. for them and honored them by listening. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, I can understand why you feel like that. But what I'm trying to do is make sure that person doesn't go back to prison. Mm-hmm. And for those people, I go to the lowest common denominator because that costs the public a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I can keep them out of prison... That's $105,000 a year we save, $70,000 in sentencing, blah, de, blah, de, blah. And that person is probably going to come out and be your next door neighbor or mm-hmm. marry your daughter. <laughs> so, oh, oh, that's good. <laughs> you want them, you want them educated, you know, and people would get that. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. saying, and I would also say, I don't want them. It's not that I don't believe they shouldn't be punished. They did something bad that our society doesn't accept. Mm-hmm. They should be punished, but they mm-hmm. perhaps shouldn't be punished the way we're doing it. Absolutely. So, Tiffany, I'm sorry. I don't think I've really answered your question. It's about what really is. It's about getting past the real issues, knowing what the real issues are. I also look at sustainability as well. It's really easy to do a project. It's really hard to make it sustainable. At the beginning of my prison projects, I set the project team down and I said, are we going to do the project or are we going to make it sustainable when we walk out the door? And Mm. unanimously, everyone said, we want to make it sustainable. So we used resources that were already in the university. When we needed to design our IT, we had the IT people do it. When we needed enrolments and special stuff around enrolments, we got the enrolment team to do it. So that expertise became resident within the university I could come over here, live my best life in Aotearoa, New Zealand, (laughs) leave the project in Australia, and it's still going on because that expertise is resident in the university. And it's about knowing people's prejudices. Mm -hmm. And people do have prejudices against technology, and it's addressing them. It won't be more work for you. It could even save you some work. We're not dumbing down the curriculum. 
were actually expecting probably more of those people mm-hmm. were equipping them with digital literacies so that they can participate fully in life and work and study. It's lining that stuff up. It's also about pre-existing partnerships. So my whole life is about setting up partnerships with people and having them working before I actually apply for funding. Mm. So I'm applying for funding in March next year to recreate my projects in Australia. I'm already talking to corrections. I'm talking to the chief executive next week to bring him on board now. Mm. And he and I will co-publish some stuff before next year. So to the funder, I can demonstrate relationship and I can demonstrate that we've worked productively together before. Also Mm. helped by the fact that up until about two months ago, I was working in corrections. That also helps. Mm -hmm. And it's about showing... Like when I went into the Making the Connection project, I knew Mm. that putting a server into a computer lab had a limited lifespan because it's very difficult to move people around prisons. But that built on a previous project I had already done. And what a funder likes to see is demonstrated track record in an Mm -hmm. area. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this, even though I know it's not the right thing to do. I didn't tell them that. (laughs) Um, I knew laptops were the way to go. But I got in there, showed that we could do it, and then said, hey, by the way, we think laptops would be better. And by that time, you've got the money and they don't want it back. (laughs) So Mm. it's those, just those few little things. The other thing, oh, now I'm on a roll. The other thing (laughs) is it's the wedge concept. Get a little thing in. Yeah. Compromise all you have to to get a little thing happening. And once that little thing is happening, you can put more and more in. And that happened with those ebook readers. Those same people who were saying over my dead body, will you get technology into prisons, <laughs> would then became the one saying, Helen, why don't you use laptops? You know, it's that wedge. It's when the sky doesn't fall, people are willing to take a chance. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Helen Farley is one of our bar- very most delightful guests on this podcast it has been so much fun chatting with you oh seriously and this is year three for us so don't think this is our second episode (laughs) (laughs) i did wonder it's been a lot of fun your creativity yeah it's a great combination Mm -hmm. so thank you Uh, for being with us today Thank you, Brad. It's been an absolute delight. I just love talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) No. And we love listening about you. We do. That's that's the goal. Yeah, I feel inspired. Whenever we have guests, it's so tempting for us to just walk away and think about the short game, like we want to do more, do more, do more. Mm -hmm. But I think something incredible about this series of episodes with you, Helen, is that in addition to wanting to do more and to just kind of get busy with our technologies and immersive experiences, I also feel compelled to focus on the long game a bit. And like you were just saying, you know, one wedge in at a time, lots of standing and listening, Mm -hmm. just recognition that it doesn't have to happen overnight and that it really is the series of 
intentional conversations and research and persistence. I would like to say it was planned. It hasn't (laughs) been planned at all. It's about seizing opportunities when they arise. And also, Tiffany, it's also about your work, no matter what you do, you might think it's invisible. Someone's watching. And like, I'm always surprised at where places I go, where people go, I remember this really obscure thing that you did 10 years ago. (laughs) And that actually inspired me to go on and do this incredible thing. That's awesome. So don't underestimate the influence that you have and who's watching. It's, you know, it's quite extraordinary who is watching. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how Brad and I met. I remembered that years, years back, he was PowerPoint man flying across <laughs> the screen in a presentation that I saw and reached out and said, <laughs> I remember you were PowerPoint man. Can we have lunch? <laughs> so I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And like a contact, I mean, people put a lot of emphasis on networks and I do too. But people are only too happy to be contacts and it's just a matter of picking up the phone or fronting up at their office and saying, hey, I think what you did is great and I want to talk to you about it. Absolutely. And that's how connections are made and it never ceases to amaze me how people will stand there and not be that proactive. And I'm really shy, so there's no excuse for anyone not to do it. We can tell. (laughs) I will say also, it's been just kind of hard to draw you out of your shell today. I don't know. I mean... We've had to struggle. I know. It's going to be hard for the next person to put me back in. (laughs) So, Hella, thanks for being with us today. Yes. No worries. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Tiffany. I've had a really great time. And for all of our listeners, thanks so much for being with us, learning a little bit more about Helen Farley and her career journey. We're going to have links to resources that tie back to Helen's talk on our website, digitaltolearn.com with numerical two. Please like and share our podcast and join us next week for a new guest and a new topic. Thanks. We'll see you next week on Digital to Learn. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.